it's just something that I remember distinctly about, you know, you know, tagging when I was a teenager and, and sort of watching the ink drip down on, you know, whatever surface you were writing on. And it just, it just feels like poetry to me when I, I, I close my eyes and I sort of, I can take myself back to that moment. And certainly, if you've ever sort of written your name on the glass in the steamy shower or on the mirror, you know, if you sort of hold your hand in like a knuckle sort of form and you can, you know, duplicate having a fat magic marker. And, you know, I just remember my parents always complaining about that because that residue would sort of hold up and then the next time it got steamy, you could see all this scrawl and stuff and my parents would always get mad at us. But I I remember that distinctly. Say Adams is a soft-spoken legend. A New York City native, he emerged from the downtown graffiti movement before becoming the creative director of Def Jam Recordings, where he designed for Run DMC, The Beastie Boys, Public Enemy, Notorious B.I.G., and Jay-Z, among others. In this episode of First Things First, we talk about the relationship between art, music, and design, what makes a good client, and the importance of passion. My career begins with graffiti, first mm-hmm. and foremost, in the, in the late... 70s. And I'm a kid, I'm a teenager, I'm I'm riding the bus to school back and forth and I just saw letter forms and and, and tag styles and and those things sort of just you know, I don't know what it was about the calligraphy of graffiti that just got my attention, but it was just unlike anything I'd seen before whether it was spray paint on a wall or a magic marker on glass. There was just something really beautiful about the way that these people sort of signed their names. And it it just, it hooked me instantly. It was like electricity going through my body. And I just knew I wanted to participate in some way, shape or form. And I, needless to say, dedicated myself to figuring out how that was going to happen. It really is interesting to me when you talk about like you're you're totally drawn into letter forms. Like you use that specific word, and to me, when I hear that, I think about you know like when you think about graffiti, you might think of visual imagery or words. But when you talk, you break it down even further to the letters themselves. Sure. Like why is that? Because that that's the cornerstone of how you build your name. It's an alphabet. Okay. I got a capital A in my name. How am I going to make that unique? I got to have a lowercase version. All those letters work together. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing that you learn is how to make these things work in harmony. What was it like when you, the moment you realized, what was the experience when you first realized that you could get paid for doing what you love? Oh my goodness. That was many years later. That didn't happen until maybe the the early 80s. And I just remember thinking that I had somewhat cracked the code because the idea of connecting graffiti to making money was something that eluded most people. And so when I finally figured that out, that was an aha moment. It was just something that made me think, 
I'm, I'm never gonna look back. I really want to master this this craft because I can earn a living doing the thing that I love. Let's go. It wasn't as quick and easy a transition as the story would lead you to believe. Mm-hmm. It was small and it was slow because before I started working with Rick Rubin and Russell Simmons at Def Jam, I worked with Russell Simmons and he had a management company called Rush Artist Management. And I used to design flyers and T-shirts and posters and, and banners and tour backdrops for all the bands that he managed. And that was a lot of work. And I didn't have a contract, so there was no sense of security. You were just working piecemeal. It was one project at a time. They would pay you. Sometimes the materials would absorb the whole project, and I'd have to eat certain things because... Back then, they sort of didn't understand process. It was Mm -hmm. just go get it done, do it as cheap as possible, and make it look as good as possible. There was nobody art directing you, so they would tell you, do this, and you had to figure out how to get it done. You had to figure out who your vendors were, who your printers were, who the third parties were that were involved if you needed to get a logo or whatever it was. And so because there was nobody micromanaging what I was doing, it was really liberating while it was also frustrating. But it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. It was always fun because I knew that I was making art and making money and scraping to get by. But the fact that nobody was telling me what to do was really great. And it's mostly because nobody understood what I did. It was just, you know, art was a three-letter word to most of them. And and they didn't understand graphic design at all. So there was nobody to get in your way. The only problem was you couldn't fail. And if there was a a problem or an obstacle, you had to move it out of the way and continue forward because it's like being in a dysfunctional family. Nobody wants to hear it. Mm -hmm. Nobody's going to tell you you did a good job. They're just on to the next thing. And you sort of start to learn that everything is about continuing to move forward. And the glory that you're going to get, if anything, is that little bit of money from doing this particular job or project. And you sort of learn that that's as good as it is going to get. And I had nothing to compare it to anyway. So, you know, what was praise? Did you encounter any artist where you said, okay, this person gets it. And like you had a real collaboration. Like, well, can you describe a specific person? Well, certainly first I'll say it was Beastie Boys. They were the first people that I realized that understood the creative process. And a lot of that comes from them growing up in punk rock and DIY and and that whole do-it-yourself mentality. So they understood where I came from. And when we got to a point where we were working with a major record label, collaboration sort of came naturally because we were you know, always sort of insistent on doing it in a particular way. So I would definitely say Beastie Boys and also um, Chuck D for Public Enemy because Chuck 
had a graphic design background. And at the time, he didn't really, you know, make a big deal about it. But when we were in the art department talking, he always made it clear that he understood not only graphic design, but the power of a logo. And so if you look at the public enemy graphics that we worked on, Chuck won't take credit for it, but he was art directing all of those things. And he was very clear about what had to go where and how big the type was on certain things. And it was our job to execute and figure out who the illustrator was going to be, who the photographer was going to be. You know, he even went so far as to pick typefaces for certain things. (laughs) And that was a lot of fun to have a collaborator like that because it gave you direction. Uh, What makes a good client for you? Well, certainly somebody that pays attention. You know, very often artists don't understand the role of the graphic designer or the art director or the creative director. They think, and, and, you know, and I'm generalizing, certainly, you know, maybe artists are much more savvy today. But back when we first started, you had to educate artists about what it was to have creative that had visual impact. They would walk into the office and they go straight into, you know, accounts payable to get their advance. And they never even thought about the cover. Or they thought, oh, we're just going to take a a picture and that picture is going to represent what's going to be on the cover of my album. And I have to explain to them that there's a whole concept behind it. But most of the time they they couldn't grasp it and they certainly didn't want to spend the time listening to you talk about design theory. Mm-hmm. That stuff, you know, mm-hmm. that that went right out the window and and that was something that I learned very early on. Don't bore people with design theory because you will lose them and you still have to figure out how you're going to create a graphic that communicates the message of the music on the record. And most of the time, that's not a job that you can do in front of the the client or or the artist. You need to focus and be around people that understand visual language. This episode of First Things First is brought to you by Shopify. Shopify is an e-commerce platform that makes it easy for anybody to build an online shop. No design experience required. Visit media.frontier.is forward slash first things first to get started and join over 600,000 businesses now powered by Shopify. This is a significant, obviously, part of your careers working in music, but then you certainly then move beyond. And, you know, one of the stories that you tell that I find really um, powerful is in doing the tribute uh, to the BC Boys when Adam Yawk passed away. I guess my question is, like, for you, when you think about art itself, maybe, you know, related to design, but you know, for you, the role of art in sort of the healing process, like, is it, does it play a role for you? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, art, to me, it, you know, it's just the one consistent thing that, that's been there throughout my life. And a lot of the folks that I've worked with and became friends with, that was always there as well. And and certainly when it came to Yauk and the Beasties, art was always front and center in everything that they did. And I think that was the thing that sort of gave us this this sort of shorthand or this unspoken language is that 
They understood the value of it. You know, some of the best work I've ever done was working with those guys and us just sort of sitting around, goofing around, playing around with ideas, not having to worry about management or the record company being involved, at least in the beginning stages. And it was very much hand in hand with the way that they were making music. It, it wasn't, you know, being dictated by, you know, some business person. It was creative first, and then you deal with all of that other stuff later. But it gave me a lot of space to have fun and, and figure out how to best tell their story. through using my art as a creative vehicle. When it goes from the, the like professional relationships to that tribute painting, it feels like there's a bit of a transitionary moment. Like that painting you did was not for music, it was for itself. You did this painting of the American flag that seems like one thing at first, but when you look closer... Well, the idea originated by me wanting to do a tribute to Jasper Johns because I always loved the flags that he did and I wanted to do my updated version of that. And I just wanted to make something that really sort of first was a tribute to him, but I thought, okay, I want to put my own personal spin on this using the collage technique that I had dedicated myself to at this point in my career. And I wanted to just have fun with storytelling and, and using images and texture and layers a, as a way of sort of trying to take it away from this traditional patriotic approach, even though it's always going to be a flag. So the first flag that I made was red, white, and blue. And then I made a white one to accompany the red, white, and blue one. And the plan was always to make a black one as well because, you know, that's the way we see the world. It's either black and white or in color. Mm -hmm. And that was the thinking between those three flags. It had, you know, all of that incorporated into the three of them. So the Smithsonian tapped me to make a piece of art on the National Mall during the opening ceremony of the National Museum of African American History and Culture in Washington, D.C. And I thought to myself, what can I make that would make a huge impact? I'm I'm on the National Mall. The President of the United States is right there. And I thought to myself, I can make a flag because... You know, what's more American than that? But I says if I made it red, white, and blue, that immediately puts this sort of chest-pounding, patriotic spin on it. And I was like, I don't want to do that. And so I said, I'm going to make it black. But it's going to be, you know, the, this sort of melting pot of all of these races and religions and, and people from different walks of life and it's going to be inclusive of everybody because that's what America is. And so that's where the concept came from. Uh, I mean, something that I've, I find comes up time and time again in your work is the subject of color. And it takes on different 
lives. Like sometimes it's political, sometimes it's spiritual, sometimes it's practical. You know, when I think about, you talk about your early graffiti having a very specific color palette to keep showing up. But then in this case, you're very carefully thinking about what the American flag means. And it's the same object as shown with only difference is color. Yeah. And so, you know, this question of color keeps coming back. And so, you know, the question is, what does color mean to you? But I feel like it feels like it's really, really important for you. Sure. The color to me is the difference between feeling good and feeling bad. When you wake up in the morning and sun comes crashing through your window, you know, most of the time that's a great feeling. When you wake up in the morning and, you know, it's dark and gray and rainy, you know, you're not jumping out of bed and ready to seize the day. And so I start there and I just think that color informs everything. And I am somebody that has a, a you know, a natural love of warm palettes. So I've just watched the power of how bright colors connect with people. And when I look at young children, look at the things that I make and they get excited, it only makes me want to continue to use colors in that sort of way. Because ideally as an artist, if you're not looking to make a positive statement, you know, what's the point of making work? I mean, at least as it relates to the work I do. I want people to feel good when I'm making something, and that's why I use color as a way of sort of exciting people beyond whatever the the visual storytelling aspect is. What what comes out of it for me is, um, you know, this idea of passion that you talk about, you know, and so clearly passion is important to you and what makes it so important. Well... It's like electricity running through your body. I, I've been excited about art since I was a small kid, and I've never had an idea about being or doing anything else in my life. And you know, I can easily say that you know that's an idea that I've had for over 50 years, and that's a little frightening because throughout your life you go through so many changes and you you think about all of these things that you want to do and accomplish and you know travel to all of these you know foreign places and and just do so many things and i've got to realize all of those things through art and without having a blueprint or a roadmap so to me there's nothing greater than that the idea that i've gotten to do so many things that i dreamed about and even more that i'd never dreamed about And to be able to do that and and sort of look back on all the amazing things that have happened to me, all in the name of making art, is wonderful. I just want to continue to keep doing what I love to do, and I hope that the folks that appreciate it will continue to support me because it's been amazing thus far. about Say, visit SayAdams.com. First Things First is produced by Max Cotter. Frontier Media is a part of Frontier, a design office based in Toronto, Canada. We believe that design is more than visual. It's a process of exploration, discovery, sketching, prototyping, iteration, and refinement. That process can help create a better world. Our mission is to help others understand how that goal can be accomplished. 
do this, we use design to create better and more purposeful products. We publish a magazine and produce this podcast to explore and celebrate the risks people take in the process of creating things that are original and worthwhile. And we work with clients to help them define their purpose and tell their story. To learn more, visit www.frontier.is. First Things First is recorded in Toronto and Vancouver at the Design Thinkers Conference, organized by our founding partners at RGD, the Association of Registered Graphic Designers, who represent over 3,800 design practitioners, including firm owners, freelancers, managers, educators, and students. Through RGD, Canadian designers exchange ideas, educate and inspire, set professional standards, and build a strong, supportive community dedicated to advocating for the value of design.